housing and inspiring the mm -hmm. practice. Okay. Yes, that the um, the whole point about the Open Sangha Foundation is to inspire people to practice more, to inspire people to find friends. As we saw in all of those photos, that the monks are uh, the primary use of becoming a monk is not so that you can sit in the kuti in your little robe practicing all kinds of rules and rituals and whatever, which a lot of people have uh, the idea of. That basically, um, the Sangha is kind of an old boys club. But it's not just for boys, it's also for girls too. So there's old girls clubs. And in fact, you saw some of the, uh, the, the photos of uh, Damadina, um, a nun who was actually there taking the, um, uh, the lead role in ordaining other women. And so um, what ordaining gives is a lifestyle of friendship, companionship, advisement and help with each other. And that's what the whole uh, Sangha is all about. And Westerners don't understand this. And so what they will do is they think that meditation is kind of either a private experience or it's something that they do uh, by taking a retreat. Now, the funny thing about going to a retreat is, is that there is no Sangha there. Everybody is uh, practicing generally what they call noble silence. That in fact, a much better retreat setting would be where you don't keep people quiet, but you let them make new friends. That I have actually seen that and encouraged it from Deepa Bhawan, uh, that uh, a student that I would send over there, I'd give him the, um, uh, the kind of instruction of, on the at the end of the retreat, make some friends with the people. And that invariably what will happen is a whole group will go to the same bungalow after the retreat and kind of continue the Dhamma for a few days afterwards. But what they don't realize is that, hey, that five or six people who come out of that retreat, they don't have to leave each other. They can remain friends. But the way that the mind is, is that, oh, I've made a plan. After I do the retreat, I'm going to go do this, that, and the other thing. And so now the thought of this, that, and the other thing becomes more important than making friends. And so what the Open Sangha Foundation is, is to try to find a way so that people can find each other locally, that teachers can find students, students can find teachers, anybody can find a wad or two to go to that's close by. We're writing up all of that, that in fact, we've already got more than 200 watts that are going to be put into the database for people to find them. And so this is what the Open Sangha Foundation is really about. It's about growing Buddhism in a healthy way. Now, one thing that we can all understand is that Buddhism is going to grow. It does take off slowly, but it, uh, it's going to hit a uh, what they call an S-curve, where things start off slowly and then it really shoots up. And then after they have a certain period, uh, like 80 or 90 percent of the people in the world become Buddhist, and then it levels off. OK, so 
um, we haven't really hit that hit that strong upward curve yet, but it will happen. The question is, will Western Buddhism become Western with a little bit of Buddhism? Or will Western Buddhism be all Buddhism with a little bit of Western culture? And right now, the problem is, is that Western Buddhism is 90% Western and 10% Buddhism. And the ways that we can see that is because the retreat centers charge money for the retreats. They have retreat centers all over the place. And it would be good if those retreat centers would come out of the business model into the model of uh, generosity and dhamma and friend making. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so one of the things that I see in the current model of our practice, our, I say our, I'm just talking about the West in general, of our practice of dhamma is it kind of reflects the beginning of the path in a way because so these meditation centers sell what amounts to a vacation time where you can go away you can sit you can concentrate on your nostrils someone can tell you to do it again and again when you forget to and then after two weeks you can leave and you can kind of barrel back into what you think is you know oh it's my normal life if only i could do this that and the other thing and the reason this is happening is because in those suttas when anapanasati sutta buddha is not teaching individuals without right view how to do Anapanasati. He's teaching bhikkhus, you know, he's teaching people that already have right view to do Anapanasati mm-hmm. because without right view, Anapanasati is just management and management mm-hmm. of stress is not what the Buddha taught. So in a way, what you're talking about is really striking for me because what it sounds like a lot of the way is that Open Sangha is doing the same thing that, um, you know, we have to do with ourselves. We have to put the first things first. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that mm-hmm. we can put the first things first is we can establish that community where we can find that Kalyana Mita, that that special spiritual friend that knows the way and can point mm-hmm. it for us. Because without, I mean, if you don't know somebody that has right view, you're not going to accidentally trip into right view. It's not going to happen. The Buddha spent how many lifetimes, you know? <laughs> so it's like, we have this special friend here that we could talk to, you know? But if people don't know that these people are out there and that, you know, most especially since we don't proselytize the Dhamma, you know, if, if someone's not asking about it, I'm not jamming it down their throat because what's the point? It's not the Dhamma that way. So if they don't know that they can ask for it, then they don't know that they can get it. You know, and closed mouths are very difficult to feed. So it's nice to hear about the way that the website is developing and it's developing alongside so many people's practices where they're putting the first thing for where they're writing the wrong order in their own way. Mm -hmm. And it's very nice to see that come together as a group as well. Mm -hmm. Tim, I'd like to invite you to uh, to come. Wow. Thank you for joining us. It's been quite a while since I've seen you. It has been a while. I, I. Not sure when I'm joining. Is it the beginning of the call? Probably the, towards the end of the call. But I thought I'd pop in for however long it's going. Oh, we just kind of started the call because we were talking about open sangha before we started the call. So we're we're kind of at the beginning of the call and two thirds into the talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And also, Harold. Gosh, it's been such a long time since I've seen you. Good to see you. Hey, Good to see you as well. Yes, so today what we're talking about is, again, uh, uh, getting the the website and all the databases that we're going to be putting on there so that people can find each other. Now, what the database will start out with is mostly organizations. 
Uh, we've got um, more than 200 Thai watts and a few dozen of, of other kind of watts so that people can find uh, various places, Zen centers, whatever, uh, you know, cooks your goose. We want to have it in the name of Buddhism, that this is not just Theravada and it's not with just one ideology, but rather a community. That rather than thinking, in fact, this is one of the points about that the database and the website is making is, is that we uh, in the West, we divide Buddhism up the way that we divide up Christianity. <laughs> okay, that you've got the Catholics over here and the Protestants over there and the evangelicals over there and, and all of that kind of stuff. And each one of them has a different set of belief systems. And so you have um, um, what they call denominations, and it splinters that way to where within Buddhism, uh, and right there on the front page, we have uh, the video of the Dalai Lama and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, which shows that, oh no, we don't divide Buddhism up that way, uh, the, the division uh, between what is the common words to use that um, what you can say is, is that Tibetan Buddhism is Tibetan culture plus Buddhism. In Thailand, you have the Thai culture and Buddhism. In Japan, the same thing. So that the Buddhism is the same among all of the cultures. But Buddhism is in fact in two stages. The ordinary stage or the stage of the beginner who comes to Buddhism from the ordinary life. And then the next level of Buddhism is the noble Buddhism, the higher quality where we really do make friends, clean out our own mind and um, have an association with other people who also have cleaned out their mind. And so it's all about uh, friendship. There is actually a song, a sutta, by the way, where the Buddha is telling Ananda, Ananda comes and says, oh, the uh, Sariputta says that friendship is half the Dharma, half the teaching. And the Buddha says, oh, no, friendship is the entire teaching. That's all we have here. You've become mm -hmm. friends on your, with yourself on the inside. Most of Westerners are hard on themselves. We were hard on ourselves because we were taught to be hard on ourselves by teachers and uh, uh, family that were hard on themselves. And so the first part of the teaching is to learn to be gentle and easy on yourself, to accept yourself, to make friends with yourself on the inside. And that way we can become friends with other people. And those people will also have their warts, their foibles, their problems, and they don't like themselves, and they certainly don't want to let, uh, hear you tell them about what's wrong with them, because they <laughs> spend too much time telling themselves what's wrong with them. And so what we're doing here is, is to develop the Sangha so that people can spend their time telling themselves how wonderful life is and how nice I am as a human being, and then we start treating other people that way so that everybody's friends with everybody else. 
We're not uh, pointing fingers at ourselves. We're, we stop pointing fingers and start enjoying each other's company, which is what kind of we're doing right here on this call, is just enjoying the fact that we can make friends with each other. And so, um, as I was saying before, there's a number of different categories that people would fall into. Those that are very much of a beginner, those who have some experience, those who have enough experience they want to teach. Others have uh, been in it long enough that they're already teaching. Now, this can be true uh, whether they're ordained or not. Then, in fact, that's one of the things about uh, Western Buddhism that seems to be um, stacking up in that direction is, is that they have very, very few monks and nuns that most Westerners are not wanting to ordain because they have heard all of the hard parts about it. They don't recognize what an easy way out. It's almost like um, oh, an initiation process or a, um, a hurdle. That in fact, if everybody understood how easy peasy life is inside the Sangha, they'd all jump in. That we actually need a lot of lay people to support the Sangha because the Sangha doesn't bother to support itself much. That life becomes really easy within the Sangha. And so that allows people to travel a lot. That that's one of the things that you can see in our um, uh, collection of photos is the backgrounds are all over the place. I was in at least 50 different temples in the United States. We traveled a lot. There's only one time a year when you're during the rain season when uh, things become kind of cloistered. Uh, uh, and that was in the time of the Buddha when the rains would happen, everything would flood out. And that uh, the monks then, uh, in order to travel, would have to travel through the fields, and the farmers didn't like that. And so the Buddha says, well, let's stay put for three months of the year and the other nine months of the year go all over the place. This is, in fact, how Buddhism has always been spread, is monks just picking up their robe and bowl and taking a hike, four or five of them at a time. The next stop you know, they're in Thailand. And then the next stop, you know, they're in Cambodia. Well, that didn't happen in the West. Western Buddhism was spread by Westerners who went to Asia, got just a taste. They didn't bring the whole cuisine. They didn't stay there long enough to become master chefs. They just tasted the Thai or the, um, uh, the Buddhist cuisine and then bring it back and open restaurants to sell it. But this is where Spirit Rock and um, Wisdom uh, uh, Group and uh, Berry Center, uh, those all were started trying to make money out of it. And so Western Buddhism has a great big uh, business model that they follow, something like from psychologists. And in fact, it's the psychologist who figure out that Western psychology isn't good enough, and so they go to Asia to get Buddhism, but what they'll do is they'll use Buddhism as kind of a uh, condiment to sprinkle on top of their psychology, rather than uh, using psychology 
as uh, as just an adjunct that the main course is actually the teaching of the Buddha to become friends with yourself and friends with other people. So, yes, the psychologizing is more management. Mm-hmm. Right. That in fact, one of the things that I have seen is businesses want to teach mindfulness to their employees so that they can work them harder. Get more get more production <laughs> out of them. That's kind of dangerous because if the employer really has his students learning about Buddhism and mindfulness, he probably will start having some empty desks around there because those people are off doing better things than sitting at his uh, equipment doing his job for him. They'll go do their own thing. Yeah, I think the proof is in the pudding. I've seen in my news feed a couple of articles that are talking about recent studies that have found that gratitude you know, gratitude journaling, meditation, and mindfulness. Uh, the studies looking at this actually don't make people happier. Of course, you know, these are probably double-blind uh, trials that they're doing. And, you know, if they're using a model like that, um, and they're just selling a strict practice, and they're not really changing the fundamental bargain that we have with life, uh, which is, you know, let's make friends with everybody and make friends with everything. Of course, you're going to get that result. You're just mm-hmm. managing the stress. Exactly. That, in fact, you're taking a Western model of double blind studies and apply it to a Western model of uh, Buddhism. And that. they kind of judge Buddhism by the results of two Western practices that neither one of them are working. Uh, And so what the Open Sangha Foundation is, is actually to try to open the real Buddhism to the West. So that we can bring these people out of their ordinary uh, lifestyle that has to do with the business oriented money. Uh, We got to the the favorite phrase is, is that we got to eat. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, the answer to that is uh, we don't really need to eat that much. I mean, look how much of your salary goes to actually eating. Yeah. Right? Of what, 10% or less? So that means that if your only issue is eating, why do you work 40 hours a week when you can actually work one hour a day and get enough to eat? Then you got to sleep somewhere. <laughs> Well, we've got the ground. People can sleep on the ground. We've been, as human beings, sleeping on the ground for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, for me, it's or, my nephews. I could do it for me, but I can't make them sleep on the ground. So, well, gotta keep I'm, it. I, I'm kind of joking about sitting on, uh, sleeping on the ground. That in the early days, that's what the Buddha did. But he had enough friends to start building um, huts and um, uh, Dharma halls and things like that. And so now we, we're uh, quite adequate. I would say that Watt Greensboro in Greensboro, North Carolina, could handle 10 times the number of monks that they actually have living there. If we had the monks, we'll build the, we'll build the cooties. I used to live in uh, Randleman, North Carolina. It's really close to Watt Greensboro. 
and I go there every couple of years. So maybe next time I do, I'll stop by Walk Greensboro and take a look into it. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably, wherever you are, got watched close by. That the last time I that I had talked to Achan Reed, he said, that was last year, he says that now there are more than 200 tie watch in the United States. I already knew of more than 100 Laos and, and Cambodian watch. But I've just recently uh, heard Google tell me that there are more than 1,000 now. More than a thousand places. Now, I assume that that's not just Theravada, that that's Zen and whatnot like that. But it's not just, um, let us say, a meditation hall that they rent out once a week. But it's actually residential places, more than a thousand residential places. I'm sure that anybody who wanted to go find a good place to stay, that's possible. The question is... Can you fit in? Are you happy and friendly enough to get along with the people who are there happy and friendly? And the answer to that is, is that if you're not, that's your job to learn how to be happy and friendly. And look how many examples you'll have of that to help you to learn that lesson. That this is what Sangha really is all about. Uh, You've heard it in the sense of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the triple gem. All right. In Western Buddhism, at best, we have, let us say, a little bit of Dhamma. Not up to scratch, but a little bit of Dhamma. The reason why we have a little bit of Dhamma, like going back to those blind studies, is because very few people have real nobles, real Buddhas around them. They don't know what it is. And so everybody gets a magical idea about what is enlightenment. They get magical ideas about what is Nibbana and all of this kind of stuff. So if you're around real people who have that, then you'll begin to understand that, oh, there is Buddhas in the West. They're just mostly Asian men. But there's a few of them that are coming around for the Western. I mean, there's a few Westerners who really understand things. In fact, through Achan Cha's uh, uh, lineage, you have Achan Samedo, Achan Pisano, Achan Amaro. Then you have um, uh, Achan um, Tanisaro. Uh, we recently lost uh, Vila Maramsi. So we have a number of men in the West who were monks did learn the noble life and are living it, but there are not enough of them to go around. But there are enough Asian nobles to go around if we can get the Westerners into the Asian watch so that they can begin to get around the nobles and they can understand what it is like. That fulfills the Buddha and the Dhamma, but the Sangha is when you become noble and bring your nobility along with you to the other nobles. It's all about community. Can you have good friends? Because uh, one of the qualities of that is friends keep track of each other. They look after each other. We are uh, uh, an expression that I've started to use is we're Sangha. We back each other up. We've got your back. And so um, wouldn't it be marvelous 
if we had that kind of thing start to break out in the West, because the West is automatically, as Western, it's competitive. Everything about Western society is competitive. The teachers compete with teachers. The students compete with students. The teachers at this school compete with teachers of that school. Uh, the Christians compete with each other in their denominations. There's just all of this kind of competition. And um, that's where the money comes into it, that they compete also with money. Oh, come do a retreat at our center because we'll make some money off of it. Don't go over there to that retreat center and we'll start trashing and putting it down. Where the right way of doing it is, is that all you can come to our retreat center, it's free. Or you can go over to that center and practice over there. It's free over there. I know the guys over there. They're good friends of mine. Okay, so this is a completely different mentality of coming out of the competition that Western mindset is in, coming into that issue of sangha, of friendship, of cooperation, of getting along with each other quite well. So this is the, uh, the change. And you can see that everybody starts out in that competitive, ordinary mindset. And they're going to stay. Yes, go ahead, Corey. Uh, can you hear us without the headphones on? No. If I take it off, I mean only the headphones. Okay, there's a weird thing going on where every time you light up this terrible, piercing, high pitch. Oh, it's a mind killer. Can, I don't know. Can anyone else hear it? It's like a high-pitched squeal coming from your I've been watching you out about it for like 10, 15 minutes or however long it's been going on. <laughs> okay. So here's the microphone. If I move the microphone back a bit, is that going to be better? You guys, here's this the microphone here. Here's the headphones. You talked about the headphones. The, mo the noise comes from the microphone. Must be the, it's something something's going on dude but this whole video is like been pierced by that terrible we've all just been too sweet to say anything but uh it's been killing us i Thank don't know what it is i had so, to say something about alex it. do you hear it alex do you hear the noise yeah there's a noise yeah i've been just listening is it, is it still is it still yeah. there? Please don't be so polite. Answer my question. It's there. Okay. There's a noise. It's still there. there is noise. It's still there. It's a whistle, whistle, it's whistle. It's very subtle for me, though. It's weird. It, now um, that I move the microphone, is it better? Yeah. Now that I move the microphone, is it better? No, try moving it again. All right, I'll have to experiment with the microphone. Sorry about that. That's uh, better. That sounded better, yeah. Okay. Well, I can... How How about this? Is this better no. now? Yeah. Hmm? I don't know yeah, it at all. I think that's loud and clear. Perfect. Okay. Back wow. to the mission. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So, um, coming back to the point, about Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. In the West, it all started with Dhamma. And that that's all that they've got. But the Dhamma that we've got in the West is kind of polluted to the point that it doesn't raise anybody up to the noble level. 
and that the way that we raise people up to the noble level is by giving them a hand up. That the Buddha would be uh, very unique in history. There's been an, a few others that we could list that we would say would be like that. One would be Socrates, Herodotus, um, maybe Lao Tzu. Uh, we might be able to put Jesus in that category. We don't know really where his education came from or anything like that. But the number of people who can raise themselves out of the ordinary life into the noble life is very, very rare. But it is actually quite common once you get someone in the noble life to raise others up out of that ordinary existence that they have into the noble life is possible. But it's not possible if someone is raising someone up out of the ordinary into the noble and charge money for it. That's not possible. Why is it not possible? Because the guy who is charging money for it is not teaching generosity. Generosity is taught by practicing generosity. You have to demonstrate and show the generosity in order for people to understand what it is. You can't just make it a lesson topic and say, oh, you guys ought to be generous. Give me money. And that's the way that Donna is practiced in the West, isn't it? Look at that. Okay. We're going to teach you how to be generous by giving us money. Mm, as opposed to here's generosity. I'm going to give you everything that I've got free. You can come stay on my porch. You can ride my motorbikes. We'll feed you. Anything that happens like that, it's open-hearted, generous. And so this is how we can teach generosity is by being generous. And Western Buddhism is now headed down the road of Dhamma for money. So we can, in fact, begin to change that. One of the things that I would actually like to change is the level of teacher training that right now teacher training has gotten that some famous meditation teachers charge money to do an online course that lasts for a couple of years you pay thousands of dollars for it and at the end of that course what do you have you have a certificate you get a phd in in dhamma teaching but you haven't actually done any dhamma teaching that what we're looking for here to train Dhamma teachers is let the Dhamma teachers get very friendly with the monks, live with the monks a little bit, get some noble teachers there. The, the monks will naturally want you, if you're hanging around their lot, to start practicing and teaching meditation maybe once a week. Then after a few months, maybe we'll do a, a weekend retreat. And all of this time, the student who has moved into the Wat is now getting an education from the monks as well as starting to practice teaching. And so this is what Open Sangha Foundation wants to do is, is to promote teacher training. We're not going to be a school. We're going to be more or less the administration of a whole bunch of different schools, which would be the local Wats and get people into, into these watch so that they can learn how to teach the Dhamma. We can also have um, 
uh, various teachers that are in our group to Zoom call each other or Skype and practice teaching the Dhamma with each other. We're already doing that. I think Corey and uh, um, DJ and Pedro and Danny and uh, Scott are all involved with beginning to teach the Dhamma. And this is the way that it's done out of one's own heart, that we don't do it from the position of, oh, I've got to eat. Let me teach the Dhamma for a living. Oh, no, we're going to do it the other way around. Go eat first. Get your life straightened out. And then you can give this new gift that you have freely. So the next. Can you try backing up a bit? Pardon, Corey? Could you try like leaning back a little bit? I think that sound happens when you lean in. Okay. All right. I can lean back like this. So the um, the next group that we would look at is those Dhamma teachers who are already trained in the Western model because they would prefer everybody that I know of would prefer to live off of Donna. How can we help them convert from from charging money and wanting money into uh, they have the support that they need so that they can now start to teach generously without having to worry about money for themselves. Most of the Westerners now are caught in a double bind. The ones that are teaching are caught in a double bind in the sense of I want to teach the Dhamma, but I've got to eat. In the Thai Sangha of monks, they never have that. That's not a double bind that they have because they're already monks. They've already gotten the food and the housing and the clothing all straightened out. And so now the teaching, in fact, most of the monks don't want to teach, but they are encouraged by their teachers to teach. That in fact, not just encouraged, but sometimes trapped into it. That the first time that I taught at Watson Mok was a big surprise to me that I was the teacher of the moment. You take it. It's yours. You give the Dhamma talk right now. Okay, this what is was the your way. What was that, Corey? What was your first Dhamma lesson on? Like, what did you teach? Um, surprise, surprise, the Four Noble Truths. That's what Achan Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, um, in fact, he was going to give the talk. And I was going to be there to help him. And so he teaches a little bit in Thai, and I repeat what he said in, uh, as best as I could. And when I came back to him for him to continue talking, he says, oh, no, this is up to you. He put me right on the spot. Uh, Achan Po had done that several times with me. Um, one time, in fact, um, he gave me an overnight notice, which was very kind to him. Oh, tomorrow morning at 7.30, I'm supposed to teach. I want you to do it instead. And your topic is the seven factors of enlightenment. So this is how uh, that is done is, is that we we just start to tell the Dhamma that we know. And that uh, a number of things happen. One of the things that happens with people is, is that they really, really want to teach correctly. That teaching the Dhamma is actually 
uh, the natural outcome of how are you going to actually really learn the Dhamma. You don't really know the Dhamma until you can teach it. And this is how we learn. And yet in these teacher training programs, they listen to someone else talk for two years. And then they're teachers. And that's not how teaching is learned. You do not learn to play the piano by watching somebody else play the piano. You have to play it yourself. You have to do the teaching yourself. So, Tim, you've got your uh, hand up. Yeah, I wanted to say, and I've had uh, conversations that kind of look like me talking about the Dhamma as I've learned it from you, Dhammarado, with a lot of people. And, you know, there's a lot of static in the noise about Buddhism, uh, regarding Buddhism in the West here. So people people hear a different thing when you talk about it um, uh, because they're they're filtering it through what they've heard about it. And they're also filtering it through everything that they know. And yeah. they're ultimately they're ultimately Christian stuck. Filter. Huge. Oh, if, it's that or it's their, you know, it's their anxiety. It's really human things where they're stuck. Some some people are stuck around their their political beliefs and they feel like they're making a difference by having this 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 set of uh, complexes that they're, you know, they're voting and they're going to, you know, uh, and they're going to they're, they're kind of caught up in that GERB system that you describe of government, education, religion and business, which is a really good way to lump all that baloney together. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it's yeah. occasionally I've had it, people have said, oh, that sounds like Sam Harris. I actually haven't looked into who that is. Maybe some people in the call here know him. But somehow he succeeds. Whoever the Sam Harris is, he talks about the like the 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 uh, secular the secular Buddhism, something like this. Um, and it seems like I keep that, I keep encountering that, and nobody actually says, oh, I've yeah, I've I've heard of you know I've I've heard I've heard of this guy on Damarado on YouTube. Um, and it's just been me in that regard. But I, I, there's there's a there's somebody's cracked. People have figured out how to crack through some of that noise. Um, and I'm I'm, you know, with with something that sounds Rob? like an. Um, oh, it was when that Chula Dasa stuff came down, and um, it was in I the don't know Reddit. Of the, the, the mind illuminated scandal with Chula Dasa in the book where he he was, you know, that's how you like, about Domerado? Yeah, it was in the Reddit. Domerado, there were a couple of people. Danny was active oh. in one of those subreddits, I think. And uh, that's that? how I heard about Domerado there. So I was really Who's actively Danny? into the space already. Danny Cox. So Domerado, my question, I, I'm going on here. My question, just I mean, your thoughts on this, you know, getting through that noise. Um, there's just so much, you know, there's there's so many signals that people are processing these days. And I think they hear this is one more. And for me, you know, like the, the, the Dhamma is the greatest of all human, the gifts that a human can receive. And you can say that to people till you're blue in the face. And who's, I don't know who said it on the call. I loved it. You can't feed people whose mouths aren't open, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this day and age, it's like, how, how do you crack through that noise? Well, in a way, we don't. No. Oh. May I ask why you want to crack through it? Well, you know, with some family members, for example, uh, you know, with some friends, I just feel like uh, it's been so profoundly helpful in my life. Uh, so you, you feel know, like a pressure to put it out over to them? 
No, no, not a pressure at all. It's like you know, you're having a meaningful conversation with them, and they start to tell you things that are important to it's them in their joy. lives. That you don't want to hear it as a gift. And, and, you want to give it. Yeah, it's yeah. a gift, and I think this right. is really useful for me. And I try to say, you know, I kind of right. walked away from the mainstream, and I've never been happier. You know, and I, right. I don't care what's going on in politics because. Well, I've, you know, I've got one life to live and I want to be, I, I want it to have, I want to have a lot of joy in it and politics just gets you down, for example. And, you know, people don't want to hear that. They, they think their <laughs> salvation's coming from that. And so there's, yeah, there's no, pre- the pressure might come in when the, 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 kind of through the back door from disappointment on my side, but it's only me yeah. who's feeling the pressure. I don't push this on, I'm not trying to out there push the Dhamma people right. on people. But you want them to respond differently. Uh, yeah, I would say that, well, yeah. I, I'd say that, I have a totality of experiences that make me kind of scratch my head and think, why is it so tough? Why, why, right. why well, you know, it's, it's, and the Buddha described the, can the I four say something levels. About that? I'll, I'll shut up. Yeah, I'll shut up. Yeah. So one okay. of the things that I hear in what you're talking about is that people have a really hard time receiving what you're talking about. Is that accurate? I, yeah, I don't think they receive it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. They have a skeptical doubt, for example, right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. And that's, that's, that's exactly what these better? teachings got at. Y- yeah, I can see. Yeah, that's Vichichata, that's skeptical doubt. That's one of the first three fetters. It's one of the things that separates the ordinary person from the Sotapan. So it's like mm-hmm. a big ask, you know what I mean? To be like, hey, just be receptive. Mm-hmm. Ah, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. let's cut to that Because it's like, right hey, here. just forget everything you've ever heard in your life and listen to what I'm telling you right now, and you'll be okay. And people are going to go, what? <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I did that with Amarado, and he right. probably had to laugh at me a few times. He did laugh at me a few times. And I, I, I got there at a certain point, and then like five years later, I don't know, some of that stuff went pretty deep, and I don't yeah. worry about it anymore. All right. right. So, Alex, here's yes. something. Let's let's talk about it like this. So we're going to have two different kind of people that we're going to run into. Those who are interested and curious about the Dhamma, which is the situation that all of you were in. And then you have the vast majority of the people who are living their lives and they don't care about you and they don't care about what you have to say. Okay. And here's the way that we deal with those people is by being friendly, by being happy with them. They give us their crap. We give them joy back if we've Mm. got it. Most of us don't have that. When they give us crap, we give them crap back. That's the way that we've been raised. But if you can come to the point of when people give you their ordinary stuff, you give them something back that's beautiful. You give them a smile, you give them your joy, you give them their happiness, and maybe they'll begin to pick up on that. If they do, they'll start asking you questions and bingo, now you've got an opening so that you can teach the Dhamma. You've got to get your foot in the door, and the foot in the door is a big smile, a happy, uh, you've got something that they want. That's yeah. the way you go with it, okay? And and we do that at the ordinary level of dealing with our jobs and our students and our um, uh, workmates and our bosses and all of that. The way we treat them is with great joy. And eventually, they will start asking you questions. And if they don't, then 
you'd be wasting your time. There's an old example that I love about this, and that, and that is, is that you can't teach a pig to sing. <laughs> it, it annoys, uh, let us say, it frustrates the teacher and it annoys the pig. <laughs> okay, so don't go around annoying people with your dhamma. Instead, go around singing the dhamma. If they pick up on singing and they really like to sing, they'll ask you how to sing the dhamma. But don't try to teach them to sing. It'll annoy them. And it'll frustrate you. So that's an important point there is, is that we don't try to teach the Dhamma. We just live it right in front of them. We teach them some beautiful music only through the example of it. So if you go around, let us say, playing your own piano and you've got the jazz going, you're tinky talky, tinky talking, everybody loves it that some of the people in that group will say, hey, I would like to learn to play the piano too. <laughs> but those who can't play the piano and don't want to play the piano, please don't sit them down in front of piano. They'll break their fingers running away from the piano. Well, and this was something that we heard about in the suttas too. Sometimes mm -hmm. ordinary people would hear the Buddha talk and maybe they weren't prepared to hear the noble Dhamma in the way that they heard it and they would fall to the ground they'd beat their chest. Ah. This is going to be the end of us. How could you say this? We couldn't do this. This is impossible. Mm -hmm. No way. It's not possible to do this. You know, and they just weren't ready to hear it. They didn't have the I idea. I think what, what I've seen, and I do this with my employees, I don't use the word Dharma or Buddha or anything like that. It's what is their Joy, mental, happiness, mental state? Happiness. Yeah. Like, do you guys feel successful? Like, uh, and if not, why? I had one employee... Yeah. He would ask me, um, you know, do you think I'm doing a good job? And I was going to answer, but I was like, I don't know. Do you think you're doing a good job? He's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, so what do you, what do you need from me? And then he laughed. So it's things like that, that, you know, day to day that you're having a conversation. And you where, don't get much pushback on that. No, no. And right. it makes them more self-sufficient. Yeah. I don't. They don't need like, you know, my approval to feel like they're doing a good job. They're just, you know, they know. Yeah. If not, I'll, you know, I can reach out to them. But. What's the difference between those conversations and the conversations you were describing earlier? The ones where you had the trouble. No, Does you're not doing sense? a good job. I own no, 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 no. That's what. <laughs> and the answer, you're, actually, uh, that's a very... A brilliant uh, turnaround. That's the Socratic method. When they say, am I doing a good job? Instead of answering their question, you ask them a question. Turn it around on them. Give them the question. Do you think that you're doing a good job? And that gets them to reflect and think about things, possibly in even a more, um, uh, let us say, enlightened environment, as opposed to telling them that they're not doing a good job. You could say nine things that they do correctly and one thing that they're off, they're bad about, and they'll hang up on that one thing that they're, uh, that they're uh, bad about. But that's the rejection, can, huh? Uh-huh. But yeah. if you can ask them about it to reflect upon themselves, then they can recognize for themselves 
that they're doing that. This is one of the hallmarks of good psychotherapists is that they don't really have to tell somebody what's wrong with them. They'll figure they'll set up a situation so that the person can figure it out for themselves. Um, I'm glad I asked the question. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Amrata. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Go right. Go to I was going to say, I'm glad, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I asked the question. You know, it's been good feedback. Um, I, re, I think it's kind of proved, points to some of the fruit of, uh, of the path where I, I've, I, I get together with friends, people I care about dearly, and I see, oh, you know, wow, they're just mired in suffering. And, you know, this, this just desire to help people, uh, that's just kind of who I am. And it sort of flows out of me. And it's I human. find myself talking about these things. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, I think kind of looking at it through some of the, the things people have shared is, is a good way to go. Uh, um, you know, just why, why burden myself with that? I, I've, I've managed to get on top of the pile of grievances and complaints that I used to be. And uh, I at least stand above it now and uh, not under it. And I don't need to add one more on top of it by thinking, mm-hmm. why won't these other people comply, right? Um, well, compl- <laughs> compliance has nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that, and it's also that there's, there's a piece of you that wants that, right? You recognize it when you mm-hmm. say it. When you I'm ask attached. that question, and I'm attached well, no, no, there, no, no, yeah. it's not that you're attached. It's that you haven't. You want something to be different in the state of mind. Does that make sense? Like, if I ask you, "Why are you not arahat yet?" You're going to tell me because my state of mind is not good enough, right? Well, the arahat doesn't care if the state of mind is good or not. He accepts the state of mind as the present enduring feeling, the present enduring mood, and he moves on from there to do what he needs to do, recognizing it as already showing up in the situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense to you? So what I'm saying yeah, is absolutely. what we're doing, talking like this as a sangha is we're also illustrating to each other where we still have a, a, a division, a line that we're placing. This is okay. This is not okay. I accept this. Mm-hmm. I do not accept this. You know what I mean? And especially when it comes yeah. to conversations where we want different outcomes, those are such excellent teachers in that way. Because they yeah. illustrate it so directly to you, and you can recall it so succinctly afterwards. And like we're talking yeah. about meditation techniques, most of the meditation techniques that are being taught in the Western world today are about deconstructing experience. You know what I'm saying? They're about removing the very thing that you need to see over and over and over and over again to actually uproot the illusion. Does that make wow. sense? So, like, if I'm yeah. doing, like, if I'm I noting, have, I have heard that expression. Deconstructing yeah. experience sounds right. like the wrong way to go. Exactly. We don't want to deconstruct it. What we huh. really want to do is examine it. Yeah. And we can't examine it while we're taking it no. apart. Right. <laughs> no, not in any meaningful way. No. Right. And it's that's what I'm trying to point to with the, the idea of acceptance, you know, is like if we can't accept what shows up in the situation just as it shows up, then we're going to have to deconstruct it in some way. And that's a management technique. Does that make sense? You know, whereas if we can see the the whole thing come up in one picture, one image, maybe a sign and feature of the mind is one way that we can talk about it in the way that they say it in the suttas, you know, Um, (laughs) if we see these images arise in the mind and we recognize them as what they are presently enduring feeling, there's a body presently enduring mind, you know, state of mind, then there's Dhamma, there's phenomena. And if we see it like that, we don't have to worry about what it is to manage because we recognize there's no need to manage it. But we don't get to recognize that without someone sometimes pointing to it, whether that be a close friend, close family that disagrees with us or ourselves in, in communication ah, as a friend so or the, something like this. So the question is, how do we point it out? Yeah. And and the way that we point it out is by not reacting the way that they are expecting us to react, that we can react in a happier, more friendly way. 
Like, yeah. wow, I'm really glad that you told me that. Yeah, I am such an asshole. You really nailed me there. <laughs> and that's kind of a surprise to people because mostly when you tell them what's wrong with them, they'll they'll defend themselves. But a good yeah. Dhamma dude will say, oh, wow, thank you very much. Yeah, I really like that. That's a good yeah. point. I respect your POV. <laughs> so, Errol, do you have your hand up? Do you, uh, actually, it's been up for, for a while. Do you have a, a particular question? I do. It's not fully related to this conversation. Um, it just, uh, I had a personal question for you, Damara. It's been a while, and I, I wanted to ask you this for a while. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know how many people have known you for a while, but uh, I even pulled up one of uh, our old videos. There's one from like seven years ago. The Damarado that people know now is kind of different than Damarado from seven years ago. Um, I think I even had like pages of uh, technical notes. Um, my question is kind of a two-parter. Do you think, or do you feel like you're teaching more Dhamma now than you did uh like in the past now with skype and you, you know so many students and your approach is now is much more softer uh damara from years ago was more like a zen master sometimes <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know the same you know same information but um it was it was a uh, technical powerhouse you know it was very solid information and you know, cut and dry. We're now it's more uh, open and uh, go with the flow. Actually, thank you for mentioning that because over the past, let us say, three or four years, I have been changing from teaching the Dhamma, sharing the Dhamma, pointing out the Dhamma. Now I'm moving into Sangha, the real aspect of the of the Triple Gem. Can you imagine what Buddhism would be like if the Buddha never invented or started the Sangha? See you, Tim. Bye-bye. Just think about that. Imagine what Buddhism would be like if the Buddha did not start the Sangha. I can imagine that it would be non-existent. It would have been a professor. Yeah, there, there would have been nothing to it. Um, but what we've had then is, is that in the beginning, getting the, the actual super mundane Dhamma out, that's what Achan Po wanted me to do, is to get the super mundane Dhamma out because there is so much confusion mixing religion, mixing ordinary people's belief systems, their fears about the future, and all of that. But the super mundane Dhamma is about let's be happy right now. But then the Sangha has been added to it. And is the, as I'm adding the Sangha, what I'm actually doing is promoting, let's really be friends with ourselves so that we can be friends with others. And let's us be friends with others as a way of teaching us how to be friends with ourselves. If you can, if you can accept that that guy over there blows his nose in public, then you don't have to be so hard on yourself when you sneeze and blow your nose in public. That if you can accept other people's foibles, 
then you can accept them in yourself. That's uh, part of what Sangha is about. But the other part of the Sangha is when you're around nobles who are high quality people, can you become high quality just by it rubbing off, just by being in the atmosphere of high quality people? You can be, at least for a short time, high quality yourself. So and, like a yeah, like a transmission almost. Yeah, it actually is a transmission. This is what lineage really is all about. And that then uh, going back to the point about Western Buddhism, basically, Western Buddhism has never had a lineage of its own. And it's and what lineage is there is gaining very, very slowly. And so we can begin to speed that up by um, making it more open in the sense of getting more and more ordinary people who are interested in Buddhism to get with some people who they can really learn it from. And you're not going to learn Buddhism from Reddit. You're just not going to learn Buddhism from Reddit because the people on Reddit are there who are, you know, already stuck in their own views and beliefs about it. This is one of the big qualities about the issue of money, that if we can get the money out of uh, the Buddhism, that's where Sangha will really grow. But so long as it's Dhamma for dollars, there's going to be some real limits there. But the emphasis is, is upon can I survive rather than, wow, this stuff is so good, I got to give it away. Think about it like that, in fact, that if you have a bucket that is empty and you start putting a drop of water or a drop of Dhamma in that bucket, it's going to fill up very, very slowly, but it will eventually come up to a level that is useful. Then it's going to come up to the level to where you're full of the Dhamma and now drop by drop, it overflows. This is where we want to get our teachers in the Dhamma is, is that they overflow with Dhamma, not that they've just got their bottoms wet. And that's where most of the people are with their teaching of the Dhamma is that I've got enough Dhamma that got my bottom wet of the bucket. Now that I've got the bottom of the bucket wet, I can go out and sell more Dhamma and, and get more Dhamma myself by selling it. The real issue is, oh no, you've got to have that bucket absolutely full of brim to the top with joy, happiness, success, a feeling of um, that. In fact, we've talked about it in the sense of starting with safety, security, comfort, satisfaction, success. And once we build success after that, it's wealth. We are so successful with the Dhamma that it overflows everywhere. And that's what we want to give to the other is the excess Dhamma that we were overflowing with. This is why I would recommend that if you if you're around ordinary people, instead of letting them grind you down, you can greet them with a smile. That's an overflow of your own Dhamma. If you don't have enough Dhamma, then when they come after you to criticize you or to criticize things that you like and love, you get to feeling bad, you've lost your Dhamma. 
And but if you were around other people who were overflowing with the Dhamma, then you're going to get half your bucket full over their overflow. And so this is why it is so important to be around other people who are happy. If you're around other people who are ordinary, moping around, angry half the time, frustrated a lot, then that's what their vibes are going to give you. That's your environment that you live in. It's almost like that you live in a polluted, uh, the, the air that you breathe is polluted. It's going to make you sick. But if you're out in really clean, fresh air, then it's going to make you feel a whole lot better. So it's the environment that you're in and the work environment that we have in the West is a polluted, dirty environment. It's polluted with greed, it's polluted with money, it's polluted with anger, it's polluted with um, uh, ignorance about the greed and the anger. So if you're around nobles, that means that they've cleared the air and that they can help you breathe easier. They give you better air to breathe. So that's an, ex uh, um, an analogy, is the air that we breathe when we're around polluted people, their air, their exhaust is polluted. And that's what you're breathing. But if you're around, um, uh, let us say an open Sangha, where everybody is breathing well, they're not polluting the air, then you get to breathe their clean air. Cleaning your own mind out, and then you can take that clean mind out into the public where it's really dirty environment, and what are you, you're going to do? You're going to start being able to absorb some of their dirt and give them back something clean. You become more like, instead of being a Dhamma teacher, let's be a laundry man. We're going to learn to how to be a laundry man. What does that mean? It means they give us all their dirty crap, we clean it for them, and give it back to them, free of charge. It's like that tongue length practice that the Tibetans do. Yeah, it's, this is part of the teaching of the Buddha. Is, I'm just using the analogy of, yeah, let's be a laundry man. Let's clean the air for people. Let's become a filter. But we got to be able to uh, to take that dirt that we collect from them and dispose of it properly so that we leave it clean. Just like an air conditioner filter that's cleaning the air, the filter itself gets dirty. So we have to go back and clean our own mind out. Let's get all of their crap out of my mind. And I got, I've gotten pretty good at doing that because I've learned to get my own crap out of my own mind. I can get uh, 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 Dick, Sam, Harry, and Paul's crap out of my mind easy enough. And then I can deal back with them in joy. So you actually then bec become Sangha for ordinary people. But the way that you get your own mind cleaned out is by being around other nobles. It's very, very difficult, almost impossible. It happens only a few times, maybe in a century, to where a dirty-minded person can clean out their own mind all by themselves. The only example that I know of in recent times is Eckhart Tolle. 
He's the only one. All of the others had help. How is that? Achan Sumedho had Achan Cha. Achan Cha had Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa had his lineage all the way back. I've, I've traced the lineage back to about 1860. And, we, and it's the lineage of nobles. And one teacher cleans another mind and cleans another mind. And now that Achan Sumedho is an old man, Look at the number of students that he's helped. Achan, Sumed, uh, Achan Amaro, Achan Pisano, and the lineage goes on. But it's too small. We need to get it larger. Because Buddhism is going to grow much faster than what Achan Cha and Achan Sumedho and Achan Amaro and Achan Pisano and Achan uh, uh, Tanisaro, etc., that's a very small group of elders. By the way, all the guys that I've just mentioned are all of us are over 70 years old. What's the next generation going to be like? And so we have to be able to get this next generation of young men and women into the, uh, the traditional watch systems where uh, nobility is practiced. So we need to get um, uh, people on our website to go look up the closest temples. But in fact, uh, um, Alexander, you have found uh, one of the best places in the United States is what uh, Atamaya Tairama in Seattle. Yeah. And, and that's a good place to hang out. You've just visited the place, but there's other places that are, that are closer. So this is the kind of thing that we need to do is to get the Westerner who is a little bit interested in Buddhism to start jumping into it in the way of associating with those who have made it their life. Their whole life becomes the, the Dhamma. Like uh, in the photos that I was showing you, Maha Samsak and uh, Achan Bunmi and some of the other really senior monks that are in the United States are the kind of people that our uh, common workmates need to go hang out with. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just like if you hang out in a bar, more than likely you're going to learn to be a drunk because all the people who you hang out with are drunks. If you go hang out in a, in a Buddhist Wat, you're going to get the kind of mentality that they have there. And so this is what the Sangha's job is, is to get ordinary people associated with those who can really help them. And the ordinary rest of us who are out in the world um, having jobs and whatever, we can uh, affect those people with our joy. We don't have to teach them how to be happy. We can just spread the happiness with them. You've heard the old song about if you uh, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. And if you teach a man to fish, he can eat, he can eat for his lifetime. Right? You've heard that old expression? Well, here you have in our normal, ordinary culture, people stealing fish from each other because there's not enough fish to go around. 
what we need to do is start giving our fish away. Let them eat for a day. Let them be happy for a day. If they really like fish that way, they'll learn how to fish. They'll ask you, how did you get these fish? And you can teach them the Dhamma then. But we have to be able to give them the fish first to give them a taste for fish, and then they'll want to learn how to uh, to fish for themselves. But you can't go around teaching people how to fish without giving them the fish in the first place. Does that make sense? I think that that's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> okay, so that's what the Sangha is really all about is, is let's get a few people who know how to fish together to teach each other the techniques of fishing and enjoy fishing together and look at all the fish that we've got to go spread around to the rest of the people. Let's go feed them some fish. Well, guys, we've had a good time on this call. Does anybody have anything to finish up with? This has been a nice call. I've enjoyed talking to you about uh, uh, Open Sangha Foundation. Corey. How is the noise on the on the your end now? Do you hear the? Is Let's it better? Speak. Pardon? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I don't know what it was. It comes and goes, and it seems to be just random. So I mean, ah, God knows, but it's not there now. So that's good. <laughs> Great. Great. All yeah. right. <clears throat> well. Good. Anybody got anything? And Alexander, you got anything to say? Just thank you, friends. I appreciate you guys all talking, coming on the call. Excellent. Harold, I'm really glad to see you, too. It's been a while. Likewise. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll have some more personal questions for you next time. Maybe we'll, uh, all right. time we'll get through these. Yes, you could ask any personal question, or you can call me if you want to. Up to you. That's appreciate Excellent. it. Corey, I'm really glad to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Good to see you too. Excellent. I'll uh, yeah, I'll probably message you sometime. I mean, it's been forever since we did like a private chat, but uh, maybe I'll try to think up how I would teach a lesson, and then I'll run it by you, and then you could. That'd be never did that before, so uh, I don't know. We'll see. That sounds like a good idea, you know. So yes, yes, absolutely. All right, guys. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, friends. Okay, bye-bye. Good one. Peace.